Well, please turn with me in our Bibles uh, this evening to the book of Leviticus, and we're turning to Leviticus chapter 2. Leviticus can be found in your Bibles in, on page 81, and we're reading the entire chapter, verses 1 to 16, this evening. When anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour. He shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests. And he shall take from it a handful of fine flour and oil with all of its frankincense. And the priest shall burn this as its memorial portion on the altar a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offerings. When you bring a grain offering baked in the oven as an offering, it shall be unleavened loaves of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers smeared with oil. And if your offering is a grain offering baked on a griddle, it shall be a fine flour unleavened, mixed with oil. You shall break it in pieces and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. And if your offering is a grain offering cooked in a pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. And you shall bring the grain offering that is made of these things to the Lord. And when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar. And the priest shall take from the grain offering its memorial portion and burn this on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offerings. No grain offering that you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven. For you shall burn no leaven nor any honey as a food offering to the Lord. As an offering of first fruits, you may bring them to the Lord, but they shall not be offered on the altar for a pleasing aroma. You shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. If you offer a grain offering of first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer for the grain offerings of your first fruits uh, fresh ears roasted with fire, crushed new grain. And you shall put oil on it and lay frankincense on it. It is a grain offering, and the priest shall burn as its memorial portion some of the crushed grain and some of the oil with all of its frankincense. It is a food offering to the Lord. Well, last time uh, we were together in the evening, we uh, began, Lord willing, a, a series on the book of Leviticus. And we mentioned that the book of Leviticus uh, can be a daunting book. Uh, it is a book that feels very disconnected from our modern life. Uh, there are challenges with finding a bridge of connection with Leviticus. And yet, just because it's uh, challenging should not discourage us 
from the study of this great book. Uh, we highlighted last time how in the Jewish synagogue, the, the book of Leviticus was the first book that covenant children were taught uh, in order to understand a foundation of living before a holy God. But as we come to it this evening, it is not with the interest of reviving these sacrifices, uh, but rather to appreciate how this book uh, is so full of Christ. Uh, that's actually, when you stop and think about it, exactly what the writer of Hebrews is doing. If you turn to the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews is accenting the supremacy of Christ. He is accenting how Christ is central and he is the fulfillment of all of God's purposes. But he does it by using Leviticus and Psalm 110 as his base. And he's showing how in passage after passage, these things are pointing us to who and what Jesus accomplishes. And so uh, the book of Leviticus uh, is a book that reaps great reward when we can dive into it and hopefully we can uh, appreciate some of uh, the, the rich gospel truths uh, in this book together. But in these opening chapters, we have been looking at some of the various sacrifices uh, that were offered up in the old covenant period. We looked at last time something that is called the burnt offering or the whole burnt offering or sometimes called the ascension offering. Uh, in that offering, what was unique was is that all that was deemed clean uh, was consumed in fire. All of it was dedicated and consecrated to the Lord. And it was an act of supreme worship. It was highlighting uh, the worth of God and recognizing our dependence on God for access, uh, for atonement. But this evening we want to come to a second kind of offering. It is an offering that is called uh, and known as the grain offering. And this evening we want to see how it teaches the people of God to trust in the Lord's favor and faithfulness uh, to his covenant. And we want to think about uh, this uh, offering in two thoughts. We want to think about the process, uh, what was actually happening, and then secondly we want to think about the purpose. Uh, how did they worship God uh, in this way? And what was the purpose of worshiping God in this way? The book of Leviticus actually helps us think about worship. What is worship? It is ascribing worth. It is ascribing the worth of God. And the people of God in the Old Covenant were being taught how to ascribe the worth of God in the way that they approached God. And we see that uh, even with this grain offering. Notice how uh, the chapter begins. It begins by saying, when anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, he shall present it uh, with a, a fine flour. Uh, what's striking is, is that as we come to look at uh, uh, this uh, offering this evening, one thing that's important to bear in mind is, is that while the book of Leviticus uh, talks about each of these offerings uh, separately, these offerings are really connected to one another. That while it's conceivable that a grain offering would be offered by itself, such as uh, the sin of remembrance offering, or in Numbers 5, or 
the, the, the continuous uh, grain offering that the priests offered. For the average Israelite, the grain offering was always connected. It was connected with the burnt offering, and it was connected with the fellowship offering of Leviticus 3. And so when we look at this offering here, it is part of a sequence of events that they come recognizing their need of atonement, but also coming expressing a confidence in God's favor. And so that is important to bear in mind when we think about uh, the grain offering. It is part of a larger sequence of worship. Uh, the other thing to mention, too, uh, is, is that while, uh, well, as we mentioned, uh, it is not clear that an Israelite would have thought about this uh, by itself. Uh, they thought of it as a part of their way of access before God. But when it starts there in chapter 2, it says, when anyone brings a grain offering. What's significant there, as with the burnt offering and the peace offering, is, is that the book of Leviticus doesn't begin stressing the requirement, although there are times when a burnt offering is required, or there are times when a grain offering was required. The book of Leviticus doesn't actually begin with these first three kinds of offerings by stressing the requirement, but rather speaking as though this is what is to be expected that this is something that is the natural outcome of having fellowship with God. In other words, the expectation is, is that people will want to do this willingly. And that's a key component to thinking about worship. True worship is something that is willingly offered to God. It's not simply a requirement uh, in order to cover our sins. True worship, the Israelite understood, is much broader than that. It is coming and ascribing worth to God out of the free will of our own hearts. As it says in the readings that we were looking at in Numbers, if you want to offer up a free will offering, if you want to offer up a thanksgiving offering, if you want to come and simply praise God, this is how you do it. And so the people were learning how to approach God and to express the greatness of God in a willing way. Uh, it was something that they were uh, assumed to want to do themselves. But notice as well, the language there says, when anyone brings a grain offering. That word offering is a word that means gift. It's a word that means tribute. Uh, it is a word that des describes typically a relationship. And so in the Old Covenant, you would see oftentimes this language of a gift being expressed to relate to the servant giving a gift to his master, of a, of a servant giving a gift to their king. And so here, it is, it, is, it is reflecting on a relationship that exists between the people of God and their God. That as they come before God, they are recognizing and embracing this posture, this position that I am a servant and that God is king. That I am a servant and that I depend on this one to provide for me. Do you remember when we were going through the book of Samuel? It tells us that when uh, Saul became king in 1 Samuel 10, it told us that there were some men who despised Saul. 
And it says, and they brought him no tribute. It's the same word. They brought him no gift. They brought him no offering. What was the significance of that? They despised Saul. They didn't want to recognize him as their king. They didn't like the relationship of thinking of themselves under his leadership. And so they refused to bring a tribute that would acknowledge such a relationship. And the book of Samuel calls attention to that. Saul was not universally embraced when he became king. When we think about what is being expressed here, it is the expression of a relationship where the people of God are saying, I recognize that God is master, that God is king. I recognize that I am a servant and that I come under his authority, but I come under his authority and his care. And I do so willingly. That is the contours of worship. Worship doesn't make sense until we come to an understanding of that relationship. That God is over us, but we also depend on him gladly to care for us. Worship will only be attractive when we recognize that the king who is over us is a king who draws near to us to care for us. And that's what Leviticus is all about. How do we come before such a holy and an awesome God and yet enjoy the blessing of his care? And Leviticus is saying it is possible because God has purposed and established a way to be with his people. So this whole process is calling attention to a certain relationship. And when we think about the whole idea of worship, if someone doesn't want to worship God, what it's really depicting is someone that's saying, I don't want to acknowledge God as king. I don't want to acknowledge God's authority over me. And the biblical picture that emerges is like those disgruntled people in Saul's day. To not want to worship God is like someone who says, I don't want to pay tribute to God. I don't want to recognize his leadership over me. I want to live without reference to God. And so here uh, is the opposite. It is a recognition of God's lordship and a desire to draw near. But there's three things that are mentioned about the process or the ingredients, we might say, about this grain offering, how they did it. The three things or three materials that are highlighted are the grain, the oil, and the frankincense. The grain itself is described as fine flour. Uh, Grain in the ancient world was the staple diet of every Israelite. They ate bread every meal. Uh, And so it's not surprising that grain is something that is incorporated into the way that they worship the Lord. But the grain that they are offering up to the Lord is of the fine flour. Uh, In other words, it's the very best that they can give. Uh, In other occasions, fine flour is used in royal settings, food that is fit for a king. And so the people here are offering to God what they can, the best they can. They are to give God their very best. Uh, And as we think about the grain offering as connected with these other sacrifices, the burnt offering, 
Uh, we have a complete meal here being presented unto the Lord, fellowship that is being celebrated. In addition to the flour, there is the oil. Uh, the oil is, uh, it doesn't tell us exactly how much here, but in other passages, we learn that the minimum amount was about just under eight, nine cups of flour and just under one liter of oil. Uh, so that gives us something of a understanding of the proportions. But the third ingredient is frankincense. Uh, frankincense uh, was made of various spices uh, from a tree found in southern Arabia. Uh, but since it was imported, frankincense is deemed to be a very costly uh, ingredient, a very costly component to this sacrifice. Frankincense is not something that is edible. And so what would happen is, is an Israelite would come with their grain offering, their flour and their oil mixed together, and they would put the frankincense on top. The priest then would take the portion that is to be dedicated unto the Lord and put frankincense on that portion. But the remainder of it would not have the frankincense placed on it, and it would be given to Aaron and to the priests. Uh, so this uh, purpose of the frankincense is to make it a sweet-smelling fragrance, something that is pleasing in God's sight, uh, and uh, therefore a very costly gift. So what is Leviticus teaching here through this offering? Worship of God reflects an understanding of a relationship with God, that God is king and that his people appreciate and accept the relationship of a, of a servant, that they come willingly to pay tribute to their king, and they want to ascribe the worth of their king. We give the very best as we enjoy the favor of our God. Later on in Israel's histories, the prophets would challenge Israel, even in their worship of God, the prophet Malachi would charge the people, you worship God, but you offer to God what is worthless. If you gave to your emperors, to your kings, to your governors, the things that you render unto God, they would not be pleased. And so their sacrifices were actually saying, God's not worth very much to us. We will give uncostly gifts because it doesn't really matter. And the Lord was rebuking them uh, for not treasuring the Lord in the way that they brought their offerings. And so uh, worship was meant to express a costly uh, devotion unto the Lord. Much of the chapter is really dedicated to understanding the different ways that a grain offering was given. Uh, they could offer up a grain offering in different ways. They could do it by baking it in a, basically an oven they could do it by frying it on a pan uh, or uh, with a lid on it, or they could use a griddle uh, and they could cook it that way. And so there were different ways in which they could offer up this grain offering. But at the end of the chapter, it, it describes different stipulations. Negatively, what they're not to do, not to add leaven or honey. The reason is not given. Sometimes commentators suggest it may have been because fragmentation uh, would be connected with decay and death. Um, we know elsewhere that leaven was accepted as a wave offering, but not to be applied to the altar. 
But in all of this, we're learning something of the way in which they came to God. They came willingly. They came as servants. They came expressing the worth of their God. But what was the purpose of this grain offering? It says the sons of Aaron would take a handful of the fine flour, the oil and the frankincense, and offer it up to the Lord uh, as a memorial portion. You see that in verse 2. A food offering that is pleasing to the Lord. A memorial. Uh, It simply means to remember. But they're offering up this food offering so that God would remember them. Now that is not meant to suggest that God would otherwise forget them, but it's to call to remembrance so that one's intention would be carried out. That's what it means to remember. Uh, maybe, maybe in your home, recycling is something that you forget uh, until you hear the truck coming down the road or you see other people putting out their recycling bags. But if you heard someone in your home or if someone said, I remembered about the recycling, you would understand not only that they remembered that it was today, but they remembered the intention behind it, which was to take out the blue bags, that they acted accordingly to the intention behind remembering. And so when the Israelite brought their grain offering, they were asking God to remember them, not just to know that they existed, but to remember them to carry out his word, his intention towards them. God said that he would draw near to his people to show favor. God said that he would provide for us according to our need. God promised to be faithful to his covenant. And so when they came, they were expressing that desire that God would act according to his expressed intention. You remember last time we talked about Samson. When they brought their burnt offering, the hands were to be leaning on that offering that was to be sacrificed. There was a sense of dependence. I recognize that without sacrifice, I cannot be accepted. You remember that when Samson leaned against those pillars, he was depending, he was placing his weight on those pillars, ultimately to push them down. But do you remember that before Samson died, he prayed? And what did Samson pray? He said, Lord, remember me. Why was Samson asking God to remember him? He was asking God to remember them in so far as to rescue them from their enemies. To remember his promises that he would be a God to Israel to bless them. And so Samson's dying prayer was one of calling God to act, to deliver his people according to his promise. That's what it means to ask God to remember. You said, God, now do. You said, God, now provide. And so here... Through this offering, the people were coming, acknowledging the Lord and looking to him uh, to provide for their needs. But what were they asking God really to remember? They're asking God to remember his promises. One key aspect of this offering is not the stipulation of what it cannot contain, 
but the stipulation of what it must contain. You may have noticed that three times in this chapter, it stresses your grain offering must include salt. It says there in verses 12 and 13 uh, that you shall offer all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offerings. With your offerings, you shall offer salt. The stress here is, is that salt is necessary. And why? The key is, is found right in the middle. Because it's the salt of the covenant. The covenant of salt. Salt in the ancient world was looked at as something indestructible by fire or by time. Salt was something that endured. And so when you look in your Bibles, if you look for the phrase salt of the covenant, it's only used two other times in all of sacred scripture. It's used, for instance, in Chronicles and in the book of Numbers. In Numbers 18, it says, All the holy contributions that the people of Israel present to the Lord, I give to you and to your sons and your daughters with you as a perpetual due. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord and uh, for your offspring with you. And the Lord said to Aaron, you shall have no inheritance in their land, neither shall you have any portion among them, for I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. Again, in Second Chronicles, it says, ought you not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave kingship over Israel forever to David and his sons by a covenant of salt. The meaning of a covenant of salt then is something that endures. It is something that lasts. It's something that preserves. So in this grain offering, the Israelite comes and is ascribing worth to God. They are willingly taking the posture of a servant. They're asking God to provide them according to his covenant. God has bound himself in a relationship with his people that is binding. And they're saying, now do as you have said. Remember your promises to bless us according to our needs. And that, that teaches us about how it is uh, that we come before God in worship. On what basis? On the basis of the faithfulness of God to do what he has purposed. Do you remember when Jesus was being crucified? It tells us that there were two others being crucified with him. That they were both railing at Jesus. And then one of them stopped. And one of them, no doubt contemplating the sign above Jesus' head, the king of the Jews, reflected about it. And then eventually, he moved from railing at him to then speaking to him and addressing him. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me. What was he saying by that? He was asking Jesus to care for him according to his needs. Whether he understood it himself or not, he was basically embodying what the grain offering was all about. He was recognizing that he depended on the provision of his God to provide him with access into God's kingdom. 
And whether he knew it or not, he was fulfilling what the Psalms teach about the promised king. When you turn to Psalm 72, what does it tell us about the promised Messiah? That he will deliver when his needy people call on his name. And so that thief on the cross says, remember me. Act according to the intention that you have promised to carry it out for my favor because I stand in need of it. That's what faith is. Faith is approaching God not on the basis that I deserve it, not on the basis that I am good enough, but it is asking God to show favor because he has promised it. It is appealing to God's covenant promise and saying, now act so as to bless me according to my need. And when we understand that God's covenant promises are fulfilled in Christ, we see why it is that we can have confidence of God's blessing and that we can draw near to God because he is faithful to his promises. Because God does not break his word, there is hope of forgiveness. Because God is faithful, we can know God's blessing. That's the same in the way that we approach God in prayer. We pray to God. We pray willingly. We pray acknowledging our posture as a servant and God as king in heaven. But we also pray God's promises back to him. We pray asking God on the basis of his faithfulness to now act for our good. And that is the, that is the, the, the language. That is the way of trust. That is the life of faith. And so this whole grain offering, the purpose of it is to call into remembrance God's word, his faithfulness to his covenant. The fact that they're in this relationship with God is to be the basis of their confidence in drawing near. But it's also a calling uh, to remember their own commitments. The salt would also have reminded them of their own covenant obligations. Their sacrifices were to be expressions of their own uh, commitments to the Lord. They're in this relationship with God. God will be faithful, but so should they. How does Jesus describe his followers? He describes them as the salt of the earth. They are meant to preserve their commitment to God, even when they are called to be the light of the world. They are to remain committed to God through it all because their God is committed to them. And so as the Israelite comes with their offering, as the salt is applied to that offering, it is calling attention that this relationship is meant to be enduring, that God is faithful and they are to be faithful. They are to trust in this God who has made great and awesome promises. They are to live knowing that God's provision for them is not based on what they deserve, but based on his promises. It's a covenant of salt. And that brings them great confidence and security. There was another aspect to this uh, offering, a very practical one. While a portion of it was dedicated to the Lord, expressing uh, the Lord's greatness, 
the remainder of it was actually a very practical purpose. It provided for the Levites. The Levites, who didn't have an inheritance, received their distributions through the people of God. And so as the people offered their sacrifice to God, God gave a portion of that ultimately to the sons of Aaron. And in that way, we see the Lord's care being expressed even to his people, how he provides for his servants and how they are ultimately blessed through the ministry of the priesthood. The Apostle Paul uh, picks up on this practice in the New Covenant, and he applies it to those who are dedicating themselves to the ministry of the Word. He says that those who dedicate themselves uh, to the furtherance of the gospel ought to be supported by the covenant community. What all of that highlights is, is that one way in which we can ascribe worth to God, one way, is by what we do with our wealth. When we want to ascribe the greatness of God, it'll show with how we spend our money. Do we see it as worthwhile to support the proclamation of the gospel and the spread of the gospel? Or do we ascribe what is most worthy ultimately to other things? The people of God were being taught. They were being carried by the hand saying, I want you to see it's important to have the ministry of the Levites. They are interceding. They are teaching the people. They are communicating the treasures of God's grace. And the people were to gladly, not grudgingly, see the Levites get a portion of the, of the grain but they were to marvel at the fact that as they celebrate God's grace, the priests are also provided for as well. So one way in which we can express our valuation of God is in what we do with our wealth. Uh, it's not the only way, but it is one way in which we can show God's greatness. So the grain offering, it is one that is offered willingly. It is one that offers up on the basis of our dependence on God. It's also one that offers up asking God to be faithful, to provide for us. That our, our favor with God is based on his promises. Just like the thief on the cross. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Because you're the king. And I depend on your mercy. I depend on the integrity of your word to be a king who delivers when the needy call upon him. Have you come to delight in the fact that you're a servant of God? Have you come to willingly ascribe the worth of God yourself? Or something else treasured most in your life? Christ is a savior of sinners. And in him, we see the faithfulness of God revealed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God of promises. We thank you that you are a God who has uh, shown himself to being faithful uh, in establishing a covenant, in causing uh, our sins to be remembered no more. We thank you that in Christ, we see uh, the forgiveness of sins and a way of access uh, before your throne of grace. 
And we pray, Lord, that we would be people uh, who gladly devote ourselves to you, uh, rejoicing in your faithfulness and in your care. And may we be people uh, who lift up the glory of your name in response. Go before us in Jesus' name. Amen.